It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, don't make a permanent decision for your temporary emotion. Now that is good advice. Good morning. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We do happen to be caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. We've got, you know, a subject on the table this morning that when I started working on it, I was like, hmm, how are we going to do this? Then as, once once the, the inspiration came, and I'll tell you how that came, it was like, this is a great subject. So well, what is the subject? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you know what God wants you to do? That's a hard question. It is. <laughs> And our theme text is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And boy, that is a, an enticing scripture when you look at that and say, wow, God's got good plans for me. Technically, that was to the nation of Israel, but we'll take the principles. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so here, here, here it is. Should I take that new job or should I stay with the old one? Should I get married? What about having children? Am I in a good place in the church where I am or is there a better fit for me elsewhere? Should we buy that house that's a little bigger or buy the one that's more affordable? Questions, questions. Now, if you're a Christian, here's the biggest question about all of the other questions. You know, this is why we call this Christian questions. (laughs) (laughs) And the biggest question is how do you decide What God would have you to do if the choices before you all have strong positives. Wow. That's hard. You have dice? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You better be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is there some all-inclusive formula to figure this out, out this entire dilemma? That's a good question. Is there a formula? And Jonathan, actually, I think there is. According to the Bible, I think there is some kind of a formula. Can't wait. It may not be exact, but I think there is a formula. So, folks, how can we know God's plan for us? And again, it's the principle of the scripture of Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, that was spoken to natural Israel. But the principles of that scripture certainly do apply to us. How can we know what would be concrete and universal for all Christians regarding how we should make decisions? So what we're going to be looking for this morning in this, in this conversation is finding concrete bases to work from to say, okay, if I have this in place and I have this in place and I have this in place, then I can make a godly decision. Sounds great. Okay, so let's let's get started. Let's take a look at what's important uh, and and how to get there. Let's start with Ma- uh, Mark chapter three, verses thirty-one to thirty-five. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you." Answering them, he said, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" Looking about. At all those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, 
he is my brother and sister and mother. So now somebody listening to the program can say, so what you're saying is you disown your family and you're doing the will of God. <laughs> well, no, 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 that's not what this, that's not what that scripture is no. saying. That's not what we're saying. Uh, doing the will of God by following Jesus. Here's the lesson of that particular scripture relating to our subject of how do you know what God wants you to do. Doing the will of God by following Jesus brings us into a relationship with Jesus and therefore with God. Now, that's really cool. That is. That's great. Okay? That's what we want. Now, how do we know what the will of God is? And, and Jesus was simply saying, in, but you, know, you know, who's my mother and brother and so forth? He wasn't disowning his family. He was saying, my mission here is about something bigger than physical family ties. Yes. Who's in harmony right. with my heavenly father and with me? Right. And therefore, who is seeking out to do the will of God, right. just like I am. Mm-hmm. And, and Jonathan, before we go any further, this is one of those subjects that was listener-driven. Um, got an email from a listener in Michigan, and she was going back and forth with me in the, in the email about uh, decisions coming up in her own life. And she says, you know, so how do you, how do you know what the will of God is for you, and how do you do what the will of God is? And as I'm reading the question, I'm thinking, oh, that's a really good good question. So she's <laughs> asking me in the email, and my answer was, that's a really good question. We'll do a program on it. <laughs> so Because it's, it's a hard thing to figure it out. It is, and we all have to deal with major issues. Right, and we all think differently. Yes. And, you know, you and I can be sitting next to each other and say, well, for me, this is the will of God. And you can say, well, for me... That's the will of God. Well, what about the factor if you're married? And what if, if you have to deal with someone else in making that decision? Well, that's easy. It's always what I say. Oh. I, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get myself in a lot yeah, of trouble in this first Trish segment. <laughs> might be listening. <laughs> okay. Let's go to a soundbite from Jefferson Bethke. And he did this, this talk. This was on YouTube. How can I know God's will? And in this first soundbite, he lays out a suggestion about figuring out God's will that, for me, was a real light bulb experience. And, I, and as I listened to it, I thought, oh, okay, this is how we're going to develop the program by using the basis of this suggestion, this, this, this mental imagery, if you will. So let's listen to what Mr. Uh, Bethke has to say. There was a point in life where I thought God's will in, in all like big decisions that I came to, God's will was a dot, meaning I had to get it exactly right or else I was off. I had to pick this one or I was out of, out of God's will. And so I had to really labor because I was afraid I wasn't going to pick the right one. And that's just problematic and that can be exhausting. It can burn you out. It can also give you a really, really poor view of God because it's, God's will is a dot. Think about how much pressure that brings. Think about how every decision you feel terrified that you're going to get wrong because even if your dot is next to the actual dot, you still missed. You still are out of God's will. But I think there's a better analogy. What if God's will is more like a circle, right? What if God's will is like this, this flourishing boundary circle that you can be in or you can be out? So the dot versus the circle, what to me was a really, really good way to figure out, okay, how do we try to explain this and try to put scriptures to it and try to make sense of it? So the imagery, Jonathan, that we're going to use for this program this morning is going to be based on the circle of God's will. So picture a circle. You draw a circle on a piece of paper, and within that circle are all the kinds of things that you can do that are within God's will. There's room to move back and forth. Well, that's nice. It's not that dot. Right, right. You can be to the left side inside the circle, 
and you're within God's will. Okay. You can be to the right side within the circle, and you're within God's will. Ah, but if you're outside the circle... Now that's a problem. Okay. But anywhere inside the circle is good. And we can say now, okay, does that mean being exactly in the middle of the circle is better God's will? No. It simply means that God's will in our lives has to process through our imperfect human minds. And God gives us space in which to do that. But he does give us borders and boundaries. So Kind of the concept of... We have liberty in Christ. Absolutely. And um, that, that gives us room to work right. Right. with our limitations. So, now, having said that, now let's think about this in terms of the circle of our thinking, the circle of our decisions. Ideally, you have this circle that's God's will. And, folks, seek your rewind, the full edition. They're gonna, I've been trying to explain this to Jewel this morning, so they're going to they're gonna put this on paper so you can see it, and hopefully it was going to make great sense. So, Jewel, no pressure, but you're on, okay? <laughs> so, now think about it, the circle of our decision-making. We have a circle with, within which we make all of our decisions. Ideally, our circle of decision-making should fit just inside the circle of God's will. So if we are always making our decisions within God's will, our circle fits inside of God's will circle. Does that make sense so far? Sure it does. Now, sometimes, because we're imperfect, our circle might be shifted to the left or the right. So some of our decisions might be outside of God's will. Mm. But most of them are within. Okay. God works with that. All right. We could be halfway. Uh, God's not as happy with that. We could have our circle completely outside. We got big trouble. Yes. Sometimes we make our circle bigger than the circle of God's will. So there's no possible way to fit it, all of it inside, but you can fit a lot of it. So we're going to discuss these circles throughout the program to try to create this visual understanding of how do you figure out what God's will is. So to figure out God's will, we have to figure out what makes up the borders of the will of God. Okay. Okay, the edges of the circle are made up of what? We have some suggestions for you this morning. Practical, clearly stated ways that we can uh, that we can be doing the will of God in our walk with Jesus. And the fir- first one, Jonathan, is what? Follow God's word. A foundational part of the border of the circle of God's will. Okay. Follow God's word. That, that seems pretty simple, pretty straightforward. So important. Yes. And incidentally, it's good to have you back. Hey. I'm glad to be here. Last week we were talking about courage, and the next two scriptures I took from last week's program because they really fit here. Um, Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So Joshua, in being taught how to be courageous, was also told that the way to be very courageous is to immerse yourself in the word and will of God. And he says, and God is telling Joshua, you know, you, you have to meditate on this day and night so you, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Stay in the circle. Right. So that's part of the border. Part of the border. It's made up of a lot of different things. Part of the border we want to suggest of the, the, the will of God is 
God's word. Staying within the parameters of what God's word tells us we should and should not do. Now that was an Old Testament uh, uh, admonishing to Joshua. In the New Testament, we're given the same kind of, of, uh, of impetus to make sure that we're on track. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So here we're, we're told, or Timothy, Paul's spiritual son, is being told by Paul, look, you have to be diligent. In the King James Version, the word is, it says study. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be diligent to present yourself approved as a workman who understands the word of God. You have to understand what it is you are representing. Otherwise, you can't possibly represent it with any kind of, of decency. And verse 16 is showing outside the circle. Yes. <laughs> worldly yes. chatter. It's empty. It's ungodly. Right. So that kind of thing is, you're right, it's, 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 if we engage in that, that's an engagement that is outside of the borders of God's will. So, so that's a, a really good point about using this, this picture. So... Jonathan, throughout the program, we're going to have what we call circle comparison checkpoints. And our first circle comparison checkpoint is this. How often do I really look into God's word to get to know his will and his way and therefore be able to identify his will and his way in my everyday decisions? How often do I check back with the word of God while I'm going through life and having to make a decision here or there? And now, folks, these are, these are personal questions. This will help us determine if we are staying within that circle or if we're just sort of guessing, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> that doesn't quite cut it. <laughs> and Jonathan, just before the, uh, the end of this, uh, this um, the segment, a quote from Roy Disney. When your values are clear to you, making decisions become easier. Our values as Christians become clear. When we are focusing on the Word of God, it's part of the borders of God's will. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with Rick. Our subject today is, how do you know what God wants you to do? Coming up, knowing God's Word is one thing. What about learning to live it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is how do you know what God wants you to do? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us on your app. And if you don't have your app, why not? It's free. Go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. All right. So, Jonathan, it's about <clears throat> determining what God wants you to do. And we're using a visual aid this morning, even though it's radio, a visual aid of a circle, the circle of God's will. God has a circle with, within which we can make decisions and we're fine because we're within God's will. The thing we need to figure out is what is on the border, what's on the edges of that circle that we shouldn't step outside of. 
The first thing we discussed on the edge of the circle of God's will, on the border, if you will, is following God's word. Right. If you don't follow God's word, you're not going to be doing God's will. You want to make decisions according to his way of thinking. Right. And the examples that we have right. are, are everywhere. Right. And, and so that's an important part of the border. But there's other pieces to the border fence that we need to understand to stay within the context of God's will. So that was the first one. What's another piece of the border of God's will that we want to stay within when we make our life decisions? Love one another. It's a must. It's a feature of the borders of the circle of God's will. Okay, it is a must-have. You know, people say, you know, when they're advertising something, this is a (laughs) (laughs) must-have! To love one another is a must-have according to the words of Jesus. John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, this is such an important thing, because this is a true mark of a true follower. It comes down to how do you act toward your spiritual family? People will know you who you are by the sermon of your actions. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd see, you heard, you've heard the phrase, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Yes. Well, that's what Jesus was telling us in John 13. He said, you need to be a kind of people. This, this body of Christianity needs to be a kind of people that walks in a different way and shows just by the way they naturally act one toward another that there's something higher about what you stand for. Yes. Do we do that? Yeah, are the decisions that we want to make in line with that? Let's go back to Jefferson Bethke. Uh, and he just talked about uh, the circle, you know, the circle versus the dot. And I think it was a really good illustration. So he's going to expand his, his picture. And I did borrow his picture and build on it. So thank you, Mr. Jeffers- Jefferson, for uh, <laughs> giving us that. So let's listen. Go ahead. Now, what happens when you go out of God's will? What happens when you go out of that circle? Then the good father says, hey, that's a bad decision, right? That's not helping you. That's not allowing you to flourish. Pulls you back in. It can be by discipline. It can be by pulling you in. Do you believe that when you do go off the path, God's strong enough to say, hey, come over here. Hey. Come over here. This is the trajectory. This is the direction we're going. But there's freedom to choose in that will. For me, that was ridiculously freeing. The God just says, hey, choose. And the more you ch- you grow with a parent, think about how you build that trust equity where the father says, hey, I've set up these guidelines for you to flourish. Here you go. And if you're in that, you can choose. And God delights when we choose. God delights when we're in that boundary of a father, the rules he's laid out, because you're living in intimacy and joy and oneness with him. So, he's talking about fatherly boundaries. And folks, incidentally, we're having a little in-studio in, in, uh, in <laughs> debate, especially when he started. Did yes. you hear how oh, fast he, he talked he when he fast. started? But then he mellows out. It's, it's my contention that Mr. Bethke talks faster than I do. I don't know And nobody that. here seems to agree with me, but I just think he talks faster than me. So, I just, just say it. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's talking about fatherly boundaries. And it, it, again, that's great imagery. God... For, for us to do the will of God, he has boundaries in which, with, within which we can really flourish and, and, and be guided. And these are fatherly, loving boundaries that give you space to actually grow and develop. And when we make decisions 
and say there's two choices, but they're both inside the circle, God can work with that. Right. And and just because your decision might be more toward the left side of the circle, right. and mine might be more toward the right side, okay. mine's not more right than yours, or yours is not more right than mine. They're both within the will of God. Thank God for that. Yes. So stop thinking about, well, mine was more godly godly than his godly godly decision. Well, I wouldn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you would So... Under the heading of love one another, all right, let, let's go to a practical application of loving one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. See, our love for one another helps us to be alert to each other's weaknesses. Doing God's will is helping those who need it with gentleness and compassion. And, and see, Jonathan, the idea is if you truly love one another, then you're going to want to be alert to where you can help out. That's right. Forgive and help. Right. Yes. So, so that's a real test of living within God's will. Mm-hmm. Am I, do I have an issue with one of my brothers or sisters where maybe I have a little bit of resentment toward them and, you know, instead of looking to help out, I'm thinking, oh, I saw them trip and, oh, oh well, what a shame. Rather than saying, they tripped, maybe I can help them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big, big difference. Yes. That resentment that I was just, just referring to is not within the circle God's will in no, God's word no place says thou shalt resent thy brother. <laughs> no, it is not a scripture. You're right. Okay. So, <laughs> so the circle comparison checkpoint in terms of loving one another. How often do I apply myself to others first, truly watching out for them and unselfishly helping them toward what is best for them? Because you know what? If you want to be within the circle of God's will as a Christian, Here's the newsflash. It's not all about you. That's what Jesus did. Exactly. He gave and gave for others. And he taught us, love one another, and by that love, and this Galatian scripture is a great way to figure out, by that love, people will know. And by that love, you will also know that you're, you're within the circle of God's will. So another part of the border, you know, we built the border saying, okay, the foundation is God's word. That's right. And now another foundational principle is loving one another. Right. And all that's included with that. Let's go back to uh, Mr. Bethke one more time. How can I know God's will? And he's got a little phrase in here that's kind of cool. He's talking about ninjas, and he's suggesting that God is not a ninja. And I'm glad he made that suggestion because I agree with him. So let's listen. I think God gives you the freedom to choose, and then sometimes he says, no, I have a specific job and a specific mission for you. But here's the caveat. When you ever see those in scripture or church history, no one was thinking that God was hiding trying to tell them to that. Sometimes with this God's will thing, we think that God's like a ninja, like he's playing hide-and-go-seek with us. God deeply, deeply desires to reveal himself to you. First of all, do you believe that? And second of all, when it is a specific mission or specific will, it's so obvious, right? I mean, when, when the burning bush happened, I don't think Moses was like, hold on, God, what, what, is that you? Right. And then another one is Balaam's donkey, where it talks to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard a donkey talk, I'd probably get my head checked out, or I'd thank you, okay, God, you're pretty obvious, right? You're pretty obvious with what you want me to do. So he's saying God wants to be obvious in our lives. The, the will of God is not supposed to be a mystery. Now, sometimes, Jonathan, we're going to come into situations where we're not going to know whether to turn left or right. Correct. 
And those situations are the ones that require thought and prayer and study and meditation mm-hmm. and waiting. Yes. Waiting and watching. Those are parts of figuring out what my next step is. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit further as we get into you know, quick decisions versus slower decisions uh, more in the second hour on that. Folks, if you have a thought on determining God's will, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and interact with us on Facebook and tweet us at CQNet Radio. All right, so here we go. We got we got an app uh, comment in on the on the talking fast thing. Oh oh. Okay, from right. from Indianapolis, it says Rick thinks faster, but that audio clip dude talks faster. Yes. Well, <laughs> we're gonna have to vote on that. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the voting booths are now open for that. Okay, let's get back to it. We have those two pieces of the border: the word of God, loving one another. The next piece is really, really important. And what is it? The attitudes that Jesus modeled is a comprehensive part of the borders of the circle of God's will. So, okay, you say, well, what are the attitudes that Jesus modeled? Well, he modeled a whole bunch. He did. But we're going to give, we're going to look at uh, a few that he he lays out for us all at once. Sometimes God, in, in this case through the direct words of his son Jesus, is very direct and what he wants us to do, and how he wants us to act. Matthew chapter 5. Everybody's familiar with the Beatitudes. Yes. Well, these are attitudes Jesus is modeling. And remember, he's got the big crowd around him, mm-hmm. but he's talking to his, his dedicated followers. So these Beatitudes are for those followers everybody else gets to kind of listen in. What are they? Let's go through them one at a time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, what's the main core message for that? Be humble. That's one of the attitudes that is necessary on the border of God's will. It's got, you've got to be acting within humility to be able to do God's will. That makes sense. Okay, what's next? Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, what's the core point on that one? Feel the sadness of sin and loss. All right. So it's interesting because being a Christian, so, you know, sometimes we think of being a Christian and we think, okay, you know, because I'm a Christian and I know there's a resurrection, that really nothing should make me sad. But Jesus is saying, blessed are they who mourn. They'll be comforted. It's okay to go through the mourning process. He wept over Lazarus. He did. He did. And because sin hurts mm-hmm. and so so that the ability to feel the sadness of sin and loss that's what jesus did that's how he acted that's why he healed and you're right that's why he cried when he was at the tomb of lazarus what's the next one blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and rick that means be teachable really simple jesus is telling us these are parts of the borders of the will of god be humble. Feel the sadness of sin and loss. Be teachable. What else? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, that's a longer one. How do you sum that one up? Have a longing for, a, for God's way. So, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is that internal drive. Everybody's got internal drives toward different parts of their lives. You know, some of us... Uh, 
people who are more athletic, you know, that they have that drive once they get onto the athletic field to 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 compete. Mm-hmm. You know, you're competitive. Yes, I'm competitive. Yes, we are. <laughs> Let's go play volleyball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know that the drive that Jesus is focusing on us on is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. That is part of the circle, the border of the will of God, to have that desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And look, if you're going to do something that's a little marginal, you're obviously, your circle of decision making is moving itself outside of God's will. Yeah, you're right. Because it's not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. righteousness. It's trying to get away with something in a gray area. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. That's not within that circle. What's next? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, Rick, be merciful. (laughs) Okay. And that is such a simple statement, but that is so hard to do. It is. Because oftentimes, when we're called upon to be merciful, those are the times when we want to be angry or, or jealous or reactive. Mm-hmm. You're right. That, that human nature. Right. Right. Mm. What's next? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So, have the very best intentions, Rick. And... Jesus, that, Jesus always did. Always. Yeah, and, and, and he always acted on the very best intentions oh, yeah. in the very best way. Yes. Now, we can have the very best inte- intentions, act, and mess it up. <laughs> True. <laughs> but you're still within the will of God. It's okay to make mistakes as long as we are within these borders that Jesus is teaching us. What's next? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So stand against strife. And again, sometimes we can within, especially amongst the brotherhood, we might have disagreements on this, that, or the other thing. Mm -hmm. And you want to kind of like stand up and, you know, stare the other one down and say, look, (laughs) that's not standing against strife. No. Peacemaker. Right. Now, does it mean that you, that you, that you compromise uh, principles? principles? No. No. But you need to stand for principles in a way that can be peacemaking if at all possible. Absolutely. What's next? Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, Rick, stand for God's ways no matter what the cost. So, Jesus gives us these attitude checks in the Beatitudes for which we should really be holding up and and, and focusing on to see, okay, are my actions, is the circle of my decision-making going to land exactly within the circle of God's will? These are the edges of God's will, part of the edges. Be humble, feel the sadness of sin and loss, be teachable, have a longing for God's way, be merciful, have the very best intentions, stand against strife, and stand for God's ways no matter what the cost. All right. There's a really cool Chinese proverb, Jonathan. What is it? A wise man makes his own decisions. An ignorant man follows public opinion. How true is that? For us to be spiritually wise, we make our own decisions by basing our decisions on the borders of the will of God, not on the borders of how I feel at this present moment. So our circle comparison checkpoint, when we look at the attitudes that Jesus modeled, and this is a couple of lines here. What model have I fashioned my life after? Have I modeled some athlete or some movie star or some famous actor or communicator or musician? Has my model got enough of Jesus in it to match the circle of God's will? Does my model create a larger circle that cannot fit within the borders of the circle of God's will? 
sometimes we want to model ourselves after someone or something, and it's just too big for the borders of God's will. And if we really want to stay within God's will, we need to pare it down. We need to get ourselves focused on doing exactly what God would have us to do by paying attention to the borders. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you know what God wants you to do? Coming up, is there a cost to making decisions within the circle of God's will? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is how do you know what God wants you to do? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app, and don't forget, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. And Jonathan, at the end of the last segment, you asked the question about a cost to making decisions within the circle of God's will. Mm -hmm. The fact that there is a circle that has borders is a sure sign that, yes, there is a cost. There is a cost to, to making decisions within that. There are things that you can't do things that you shouldn't do. And, and it's interesting. We got a, a, another message through the, uh, the CQ app, and the, the, uh, the listener writes, Jesus knew his Father's will was to die for all mankind. It's true. But if for some reason he had never died, would he have lived forever since he was perfect? I know it's off topic, but I just went through my mind. Love the show. Thanks. And it's a good question. And Jesus did earn the right for a perfect human life by fulfilling the law. Yes. It would not have been the will of God in for the sense of he came to do a mission, but he fulfilled the law perfectly, so he could have lived according to that law for as long as he lived according to that law. How about that? So interesting side note uh, yeah. from from the from the app. Good so question. again, folks, you know, if you want to uh, get a get a comment in, you can certainly do it via the app or call us at eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Okay. We've gone through a few of the pieces of the border of God's of the circle of God's will. What's the next piece? It's be faithful through sacrifice, self-denial, a living sacrifice, the price of God's borders. These are costly. This is a costly way. There's two Well, Rick, wait a minute. What? Who wants to do that? <laughs> Isn't this the age of selfishness? Yes, it is. And that's why this is such an important subject, because in the age of selfishness, a Christian is supposed to live selflessly, and those two things do not combine into a good character. You're right. So to take the circle of our will, which may be full of selfish things, it's got to be pared down to fit within the will of God. So it's going to cost us something. Yes. There are two parts to approaching a life of sacrifice. Let's go to John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 9, 18 to 23. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, but others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone. So, 
I mentioned there are two parts to approaching a life of sacrifice. The first part is what just happened here. It consists of understanding the reasons for a life of sacrifice. Grasping the magnitude of who Jesus was and is sets the table for how we're supposed to live. You need to understand who Jesus is. And then Jesus continues in the the Luke account here uh, in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. See, he was in the circle of God's will because he dictated exactly what he was going to do. And he was saying this to them all. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Once we know who Jesus is, the second part is walking the walk. And that walk is a no-holds-barred commitment to his footsteps. It's going to cost. Yes, and he just laid out what it looks like. And it's not comfortable. But if you want to do the will of God as a true Christian... Discomfort is part of your life. Accept it. That's what Jesus did. So, our circle comparison checkpoint for this point, this this part of the border of being faithful through sacrifice, our circle comparison checkpoint is this. How does my life reflect the lifestyle of walking in Jesus' footsteps? Am I in tune with it only on Sundays, Christmas, and Easter? Or does it stay with me every single day? If it does stay with me every single day, does it direct me through every part of my every day? What do the answers to these questions evidence regarding the borders of my decisions? It's one thing to say, yes, I I stay with it every single day of my life, but it's another thing to have it affect every part of every day. And Jesus told us, take up thy cross daily and follow me. Right. And so that means each day... Throughout the day, you carry that cross. Let's go back to uh, Jefferson Bethke one last time, because he's also giving us another picture. He's very good in, in painting pictures of, of how to stay on track. So listen to, to, to the suggestion in this picture. I'll finish with this. I think there's two walls that you need to keep everything in, right? And I was actually reading a commentary by a famous theologian, and he wasn't really talking about God's will, but he was talking about the character and nature of the people in Acts, the early church. And he said the thing that really defined them is on one side, they, they, the way he said it was in light of Scripture and in the context of prayer. And I like to see those as almost two walls. When something comes to you that you need a decision on, do you put it in light of Scripture? Do you read God's Word? Do you say, God, have you ever said anything specific on this? Have you ever said anything generally on this? Where, where can I go? Where can I lean? And then over here, the context of prayer, do you ever take it to God? Do you ask? The walls of Scripture and prayer. I, I just he's, he's really good with pictures. That's perfect. And the idea is these are ways to stay within the borders of God's will. Again, the circle of God's will has borders. It has guidelines. It has things outside of which we should not go. The circle of our decision-making should be able to fit within that, that circle of God's will. The challenge, Jonathan, is always to getting our entire circle just to drop exactly in the middle of that God's will circle. Mm-hmm. We don't generally do that. No. We're off to the left. We're off to the right. We're a little too high. We're a little too low. Whatever it is. But the goal, stay within the border. And God can work with us if when we drop our circle down, we're off a little bit. Because the heart intention is there. We're trying really hard. And he's going to test us on those things that are outside the circle. Yes, he will. To help us to try to move them within the circle. Uh, Before we go to the phones, one other interesting quote. When one bases his life on principle, 99% of his decisions are already made. And again, the principles 
that we have to make our life decisions on. I mean, our big question is, how do you know what God wants you to do? The answer is, determine what are the borders of the circle of God's will, and then decide within those borders. Bingo! You've just discovered an amazing, amazing way to live. I love it. It, it, it. It's such a simple thing. So, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello. Uh, I appreciate the uh, illustration. I like the circle illustration. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's one for you, fellas. You're married like I'm, I am. You're both married men. <clears throat> you ever have a uh, disagreement with your wives? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> and, uh, there is a, there is a uh, significant uh, debate going on, and uh, one will say to the other, "Well, what am I a mind your mind reader?" <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it, it, pretty sharp disagreement. So, the question is, who is within the circle, <laughs> and who is without the circle? <laughs> one may be in, one may be out. You know, with, with, particularly within the context of God's will. Now. Going to the circle, you know, you remind me with this uh, illustration, uh, good grief, it's been a long time since I'm out of high school. Do you recall that uh, there was a fixed factor with the circle, anything to do with the formula of the circle and so forth? It was, uh, I think, pi, three, one, four. Oh, come on, Julius. What do you think I am? (laughs) (laughs) Pi, three, fourteen, three point fourteen. You know, my son is a uh, math teacher. If he's listening, I hope he calls in and says, you're right, Dad. <laughs> but anyway, here's, here's the key. Uh, that fixed factor, which uh, I think blends beautifully with your discussion here, is our Lord Jesus. Consider the fixed factor. And your, uh, the, the uh, Beatitudes, what a beautiful uh, uh, scenario, What uh, how he preached the Beatitudes. So... He is a key in this whole decision-making process. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. All right, Jonathan, let me put that whole thing to to rest. Okay, here's the thing. Pi is a circle, and that's good enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like pi. Pi is a circle. I like pi, too. I'll eat pi, and that's a circle. Mm -hmm. So, thanks, Julius. (laughs) How how about a Boston cream? (laughs) Ah, now you're talking. Okay, so (laughs) let's focus here. Uh, So, we were just talking about being faithful through sacrifice. This is part of the borders of the will of God. All right? And now, the next point, next border that we need to consider is what? Be accountable. Part of the price of the circle of God's will is cheerful accountability. Let's go to Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Listen to how cheerful he is in his being accountable for his wrongdoings. This is actually kind of cool. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see uh, who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran up ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. So Zacchaeus here is a man on a mission who knew his life was lacking and chased down the needed fulfillment. He chased down Jesus because he wanted to be within the circle of God's will. He knew Jesus could get him there. What happens? When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried down and received him gladly. When they saw it, 
they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you see Zacchaeus, he's recognized by Jesus. And Jesus not only recognizes him and says, Hey, I want to come to your house for dinner. Zacchaeus's reaction isn't, oh, I haven't prepared anything. It is the most joyful reaction. And he sees his way to the will of God through Jesus. And, and I love this, Rick, because when we first give our heart to the Lord, we want to make things right and ask forgiveness of things that we did right. wrong. And um, all of our indiscretions, we want to humbly accept to follow in Jesus' footsteps. That's a great part of giving your heart to the Lord. So that, so that, 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 that cheerful accountability that Zacchaeus says, look, I, I, I'll give half of my goods to the poor, and, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll restore it fourfold. I just want to be right in the sight of God. I mean, it's such a beautiful example. This, this instantaneous accountability and generosity of Zacchaeus shows us the magnitude of God's grace and the power of the very presence of Jesus in our lives. So, so Jonathan, we're coming down to our final circle comparison checkpoint, and that is this. How often do I volunteer my life decisions to be placed before God and ask for his scrutiny? Are the borders of my decisions inside the borders of God's judgments? That's a big question. It is. Are the borders of my decisions inside the borders of God's judgment? Remember, the circle of God's will has a lot of wiggle room inside of it. And, you know, Julius was in his call was talking about uh, a husband and wife. You know, one may be inside the will of God. The other may be outside in their, in their argument back and forth. Mm-hmm. They both could be inside. That's a good point. They both could be. Even and though they're different. Right. And it's just a matter of deciding on the preference. Now, the way they decide between them could be inside or outside the will of God as well. Mm. Because if there's mutual respect in gaining that decision, then they could both be within the will of God and decide within the will of God and they live happily ever after. (laughs) But if they're both within the will of God, but one of them beats down the other... That's outside of the will of God in the decision-making process, and now you've got some repairing to do. Folks, in the second hour, we're going to get really practical with the circle of the will of God and the circle of our decision-making and how to help our decision-making identifiably be within the circle of the will of God so we can figure out how do you know what God wants you to do. So please stay with us. We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then... For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, a life-changing questions, the will of God in you, what's the connection? We'll be back. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Brendan Francis once said, Some persons are very decisive when it comes to avoiding decisions. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, this morning's subject is really, really important because it's one that every Christian, I think, wrestles with at some point or other. Absolutely, What's the question? Rick. It's, how do you know what God wants you to do? And our theme text is found in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And in the first hour, we were talking about um, what it takes to be able to make decisions within the circle of God's will. We were using a circle as, a, uh, as an example. And, and, you know, God's will is not a dot. You don't have to hit it exactly. It's not a bullseye. It's a circle. Because we, in our human state, can make decisions that uh, God gives us the ability to think and to choose. Right, And to apply ourselves. And so there's definitely room within the decision-making process and to be within God's will. But you know that the quote, that that initial quote, some persons are very decisive when it comes to avoiding decisions. Rick, that reminded me of uh, the one man that buried his talent. Yes. Didn't do anything. Right. And not making a decision, avoiding making a decision, is not within the will of God. It's not within the circle. Of course not, because God gives us the experience so we can make a decision. Now, whether you make it quickly or slowly, that's a different story. We're going to actually get to that uh, in during this hour of the program. But let's sum up the some of the border principles that form the circle of God's will. Follow God's word. A foundational part of the border of the circle of God's will. All right. God's word is, if we're acting outside of it, automatically automatically we know we're, we're not in harmony. Love one another, a must feature of the borders of the circle of God's will. If you don't love one another, you're not following Jesus. The attitudes that Jesus modeled, a comprehensive part of the borders of the circle of God's will. And we use the Beatitudes as an example of that in Matthew 5. Be faithful through sacrifice, self-denial, a living sacrifice, the price of God's borders. See, God, the borders of God's will are smaller than the borders of our natural will. And there is sacrifice. There's things that have to be given up to be within the borders of God's will. And sacrifice is a big part of that. Be accountable. Part of the price of the circle of God's will is cheerful accountability. And to be accountable really means to be willing to have your decisions looked at and scrutinized and come back and say, okay, do better next time. Right, right. And that's a good thing. So we can make mistakes, Jonathan, even when we're within the context of God's will. Thank God. It's, yeah, really. It's okay to do that. Yeah. Now, we didn't mention prayer as part of the borders of God's will. Of course it is. Of course. Because prayer is part of every one of these things. So, so we've loosely defined the borders of God's will. What now? I mean, think about it. Okay, we've got the borders. We've got it all lined up. We've got the boundaries. Shouldn't we all now be easily focused? Shouldn't our daily decisions now sim- our, our daily decisions now simply adjust and flow as we seek God's way above ours? Isn't the problem solved? No. Oh, man. <laughs> it's not. But it should give us more confidence right. that we can be in tune with God's will. Right. Now we have to get practical with yeah, it. Yeah. So before we get into our next area of of the practicality. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions. Oh, good morning. I wanted to tell you, I'm a very very hard decision maker, but for me, God 
brings people into my life to help me make decisions. Some are bad people, some are good people, but um, he brought me into he, he brought me into this lady who was scamming people in my church and first cancer and getting all kinds of money and she was running the program. I kind of find out about it. My husband died of cancer. Another lady did, and she was collecting the money. Well, God brought this lady into my life because I notified our principal, and right away they took the money from her, the, you know, that program from her, because she was scamming people. And But I think because I can't make decisions, God brings me people to help me. And he brought me your program to help me, and you've tremendously helped me, and I, and I love you for it. And... I just wanted to share that. For me, making decisions is is God's way of bringing people into my life to help me. Carol, that's a really, really good point. I appreciate you bringing it up. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. And, and Jonathan, that, that is a very, very big part of this thing. It's the, the accountability within with, with other people. Now, the interesting thing is she said sometimes bad people come into her life to help her make decisions. So she sees what's not right, Yes. and it provokes her. To righteousness. Mm-hmm. So that's good because what you're doing is you're seeing the context of your life and responding to it. That's a good thing. Absolutely. That's a really good thing. So, Carol, thanks for that. It adds a, another dimension to to what we've been talking about here. Folks, if you have a thought on on determining God's will, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern. 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. If you'd like to write us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. All right. So, the, you said the problem's not solved. No, it's not. Just because we know what the borders of God's will is doesn't mean the problem's solved. Why not? Let's go to a soundbite. This is from Bite Sized Psych, and he's talking about for the the top four cognitive biases in our decision-making. Now you say, what are you talking about? Well, <laughs> let him explain it, and then we'll just comment All on right. it. So let's listen to this first of these top four cognitive biases. Here are the top four biases that cloud your judgment. Number one, the self-serving bias. A survey once asked people which celebrities would go to heaven. Mother Teresa topped the charts with 79% of people believing that she would be accepted. And yet there was someone who ranked even higher. When asked about themselves, 87% of people said that they'd make it into heaven too. So, how do we get this delusional? Well, we attribute any success to ourselves and blame failure on the external situation. This is the self-serving bias. For example, if we charm someone, it's because we have a charming personality. But, if we get rejected, it's because they just don't get us. Admittedly, this bias is good because it protects our self-esteem. In fact, depressed people show significantly less self-serving bias. However, this bias also stops us from learning from our mistakes. If we don't take responsibility for our failures, then we'll never take the initiative to change. So self-serving bias is something that can get in our way. Now, it's interesting because I said, you know, it's got good aspects to it. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, lo- love others, you know, no man let yet didn't love himself. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is talking about that from its positive standpoint. But once you let it get out of hand, then you begin to lose the bigger perspective of what God's will can be in your life. So this is important. So, so, so now the question is, well, how do we really know whose will we're serving? 
That's right. Now, I put this question out every so often with subjects like this. I put it out to some of the CQ uh, team. Mm-hmm. And so we got uh, some, some, a couple of lines of written comment from Vicki who weighed in on this. What, what did she say, Jonathan? We must labor hard and labor often to keep self out of the way. Then and only then can we begin to do the Lord's will. Here is a test to see how strong our fleshly desires are. Try giving up a decision to someone else. It should be one that involves your stuff. Okay, so this is a really personal decision about your own stuff then. How to arrange your furniture, what color to paint your room, rearrange your makeup drawer or your toolbox, and the list goes on. Can you do it? See, now, that's a, that's a good way to look at it because that's a very personal thing. Don't touch my stuff. Yeah, no, no, that's I'm, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it would be a... It would be hard for right, me right. because and, of my personality type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've got stories on that, but I won't tell them right Please, now. <laughs> do not. Go ahead. Let's continue. This is an exercise I use to indicate how hard it is for me to let go of my will. If I cannot do it when I know the test is upon me, what makes me think I am not holding on to my own will throughout the experiences the Lord sends my way that I may not be recognizing? For me, it really isn't just to do good things and please God with righteousness, as it may be for some. For me, I want to make sure Christ is the head of every decision in my life, so I need to train myself in giving up my will. Not an easy task, yet still my prayer, may thy will be done. So it's training ourselves to have Christ the center of every decision. Yes. And if Christ is in fact the center of every decision, you are you you the the circle of your decision making can land within the parameters of the circle of God's will. And yourself is being pushed outside of right. those parameters. Right. And it's not affecting your decision. Right. That's where it belongs, on the outside looking in. So how do we practically do this? Let's go through some scriptures and some focus points on getting ourselves to, to understand how do you do this. Proverbs 3, 3 through 6. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And in that verse, there are so many little admonitions, little one-liners about focusing and staying true to what is, is, is supposed to be guiding us. The principles of this scripture are often repeated throughout scripture. But the question is, great, they're repeated. How seriously do I take them? Do I make them centerpieces of my thinking? I mean, what's motivating me? How do I know? Because you know what, Jonathan? The heart wants what the heart wants. Mm, so true. First John 2, 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. You think about it, the phrase now, now that we're using the visual picture of the circle of God's will, if you abide in him, you're, you're within the circle. Oh, that's perfect. You know, and, and, and the idea is keeping his commandments. Jesus was motivated by knowing and doing God's will. By being a son. Mm-hmm. Jesus, let's focus on this for a second. Jesus is motivated 
by being a son and doing the will of his father. That makes perfect sense. Yes. Let's take a look now at another spiritual being that didn't do so well. Satan, in contrast, was self-motivated towards being like God. Oh, being big a son, big different. Versus being like God. Who is within the circle of God's will? Well, that's an easy one. Jesus. Okay. Whose motivation best describes our desires? Is it Jesus? Or do we want to? Because we live in the age of everybody is th- their own God. Yeah. Or is it parts of each? And, you know, and I think that's the most dangerous place to be because it's pretty obvious if you're all about the Satan motivation. But when you got a little bit of that mixed in with trying to be Christ-like, and I want to be Christ-like exactly my way, and my way, and my way, and my way, suddenly you're, 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 you're bulging out and stepping outside of the circle of God's will, and your circle is either getting too big, or it's moving to the left or the right or something. Mm. Something is not centered. Right. So what's motivating me? How do I know? Okay, again, the heart wants the heart, what the heart wants, but now... The, the following scripture is a great border test. Let's go to Second Corinthians six, fourteen to sixteen. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what arrangement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We're going to continue this particular scripture in the next segment, but Jonathan, this is a scripture that outlines several kinds of human relationships. And the apostle is saying, do not be bound together with unbelievers in ways that you just shouldn't be bound together with them. So change who you hang out with. Hang out with more like-minded people that have the same goals. So... This is a real test of the borders uh, of the borders of the will of God. Are they really intact when we make these kinds of decisions? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you know what God wants you to do? Coming up, are quick decisions better than slow decisions? Mm-hmm. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. When the world falls into You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is how do you know what God wants you to do? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. So, Jonathan, we, we started with the Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 verse about uh, being not bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and so forth. We quoted the first part of it. And it is a very revealing text about what's important to us. It's a really good border test when we look at that and the different levels of our relationships. And we actually did a program 
based on that scripture and took it apart piece by piece by piece, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And maybe we can drop that into the rewind as a reference point. Good but, idea. But let's finish this ver- these verses, Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So, to be different and to be separate are very difficult tasks, especially in a society that more and more expects everyone to be politically correct and comply with the prevailing ideas that is that everything is good and acceptable. Those are the ideas. No matter what it is, it's good and acceptable. You're fine. These are not the borders that God has set for our decisions. Well, Rick, I had to do this um, when I started studying the Bible. I learned that what my church was teaching wasn't quite in harmony with God's Word. Um, And they were really focused on tradition and ceremony, uh, which actually, to me, didn't harmonize with the truth. So you had to find a way to find a place that got you what you were looking for. Exactly. And... To find the place that got you what you were looking for, you, you, what did you use? Did you say, okay, this feels better, or was it, was it more about the Word? It was about the Word. So finding the will of God is not necessarily about how I feel. That, no. has, that, that, can, that can help us. Sure. It also can hurt us. True. Emotions, for But it sure. comes back to those principles that we laid out in the first hour. So that, that's a, that's a, a good illustration of the difficulty and, and the decision-making process. We have to be willing to walk away from some things to have our lives fit within the circle of the will of God. So our circle comparison checkpoint here. How willing am I to look in the mirror and be completely honest with myself regarding my motivation? Am I being self-serving and cloaking it with spiritual words to make myself look good to myself and others? Oh, we hope not. <laughs> well, you, that's I mean, right. Well, th- this, this can happen, though. Right, because we can say the right things. Right. We can sort of on the surface act the right way, but really be making decisions oh. that are not within the context no. of the borders no, of the will of God. Oh. So let's go back to uh, Bite Size Psych and the, the four... Um, what were they? The four cognitive biases. What? What was that? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, this is this next one, Jonathan, is the cognitive fluency bias, and I think about that one all the time. Oh, you yeah. do? No, I don't. <laughs> anyway, let's listen. Number two, cognitive fluency. Cognitive fluency is how easy an idea is to process and understand. The more fluent the idea, the more we unconsciously trust it. Now, the problem is whether something is easy has nothing to do with truth. This leads to an illusion. For example, one experiment showed that simply writing a message in a clearer font will make people think it's truer. In another experiment, subjects either read the phrase, woes unite foes, or woes unite enemies. Both have the exact same meaning, but because the first one rhymes and is hence more fluent, subjects found it more insightful. Now, this can lead to some bad decisions. So, next time you hear something that sounds about right, this is exactly when you should start questioning it. And you know, this cogniz- cognitive fluency thing, I actually do think about it because in, in preparing for programs, try to figure out ways to say things that can be catchy uh, and that can, can flow so they're easier to remember. Now, just because they flow and they're easier to remember doesn't mean they're true. You got to test it. That's a good point. You got you to gotta really go down and figure out if it really should stick, and then if it does stick, that's great. So, so, so when cognitive, cognitive fluency piggybacks on that first bias, the self-serving bias, we can really have a problem because 
for things sound better, feel better, and look better when they're feeding our ego. Okay. Quick, let me take a selfie. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> you know, you know that. Well, you know that look is so you. You know, it, it's all about <sighs> me. That self-serving bias, and and when when you get the flow and it feels right and it's about you that can be a real disaster for trouble it can so we have to be aware and then make our decisions accordingly by looking at the circle of our decision making and is it too big to fit within the circle of god's will our ego or or, <laughs> oh, yeah. or is it bulging out on one side or another and you just can't stuff it in it's <sighs> like you know 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound sack it just doesn't work okay you asked the question at the end of the last segment about making decisions quickly or slowly mm-hmm Am I patient in this decision-making process, or do I just want to decide and move on? Ooh, That's an important question. That is. Philippians 4, 6-7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, the thing here, oftentimes in patience is a cover for selfishness because what I want is usually the first choice. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let's, let's, let's go slowly here for a minute. That's hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let's, let's really see if we can absorb this one because sometimes we get to a point where, oh, you know what? I just want to decide to move on. And that creates the ability to, over, to step over perhaps some very important things that need to develop to make a proper decision. Sure. So when we have that, oh, I just want to decide to move on, attitude, what it really is saying is, I just want to do what I want to do. Just leave me alone. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. That doesn't put you in the borders of God's will, Rick. And that's something we need to be careful of. Now, by the same token, does that mean we should drag out every decision so that it dominates our every day? I know that was really hard for you. It was. It was torture. (laughs) But you get the point. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So we have to find how to apply the principles of Scripture, how to apply those borders that we talked about, and put it in order and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and this is why. And to be able to say, yes, it's God's will. I can see it. I can see how it fits here, here, here. Let's go. That's that's how I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) <laughs> Just like that. Okay? Yes. The next scripture shows two sides of this first issue. The selfish. First, we, uh, we're going to have the selfish and hurried approach. James three thirteen to 18. Who among you was wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Where jealousy and selfishness, uh, ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. So now there's, there's something interesting here. Well, there's a lot of things interesting. But in this James scripture, it's talking about you know, the question, okay, who's wise and understanding? And then James is going to compare two kinds of wisdom from two different sources of wisdom. And this first This first source of wisdom is, he says, wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic, and demonic. Now, now, 
let that set for just a second, then get rid of it. Okay? Whoa, yeah. And he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every and every evil thing. Jealousy and selfish ambition, these are two characteristics that would cause us to make decisions quickly without considering other things. You're right. Because you're thinking about who? Self. That's it. When you're jealous, who are you really thinking about? Yourself. When, when you have selfish ambition, obviously. Yeah, yourself. So that's the hurried approach. And what James is suggesting to us is that, look, this is not only not, only not good, it can even be demonic. So yeah. what's the other half of this whole issue? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. And when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left. So, in the second part of the verse, he says, Okay, now let's look at the other kind of wisdom and the other source of wisdom. The wisdom from above. And then you list out all of these things, Jonathan, and, and the words that are used here are the kind of words that if you if you if you're if you're, if you're tense and you're irritable and and you know just just stressed out these words can help to just bring you off of that off of that 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 place to a place where you can start to breathe again read through these words again cuz they're just beautiful pure peaceable gentle reasonable full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without hypocrisy i mean you think about that to be reasonable takes time it does to be reasonable implies that you're giving something enough thought, something that's pure, something that's peaceable, something that's gentle, gentleness. I mean, have you ever seen somebody, maybe somebody's got a, a wound that's, that's being um, treated. Mm-hmm. Now, to gently treat the wound, do you just like wrap it up real quick and start the next? No. No, you, you, you take care of the person as you take care of the wound. Yes. There's... So this is the kind of thinking that needs to go into our decision-making. It is a, a spiritual kind of thinking and will help us to slow down and not fall into the trap of just deciding because I need to decide quick and, and move on. That's just an excuse. Mm-hmm. You don't need to move on that fast right? if you can't be reasonable according to God's way. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com. We have over 500 archived programs you can listen to. All right. So, our circle comparison checkpoint here in in looking at making decisions quickly or slowly and, and so forth. Do I hurry through decisions and therefore rely on how I feel about the situation to conclude it? Or do I pause and consider wisdom from above to see how I serve God with the situation? So sometimes Jonathan comes down to how I feel about the situation. Is that going to make us decide? Or how do I serve God with the situation going to make us decide? Selah. (laughs) Yes. Pause and and consider. consider. (laughs) (laughs) And again, the circle of God's will is a circle with boundaries. The circle of our decision-making also has its boundaries. Sometimes the circle of our decision-making is too big to fit within the circle of God's will. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be small enough, but we're off-center. 
Either way, even if we're off-center and some of our decisions are outside of the will of God, God can still work with us. He can still help us. But you can be sure he's going to take those decisions that are outside of his will. And show us they're wrong. And show us <laughs> with gentleness, yes. with pruning experiences, with wisdom, mm-hmm. with kindness, yep. and with direction. Let's go back to uh, bite-sized psych and, and to these top four cognitive biases and listen to what the third what the third uh, cognitive bias is that gets in our way to make proper decisions. Number three, the sunk cost fallacy. Imagine you've paid $20 to watch a two-hour movie, and after one hour, you're convinced the movie is trash. You want to leave, but you feel like it would be a waste of money. This is the sunk cost fallacy. See, whether you decide to leave or stay, you've already lost $20. In fact, by staying on top of the $20, you've now wasted another hour of your life. Therefore, you'd be better off leaving. This fallacy stems from our intense aversion to loss. The thought that we've wasted resources motivates us to carry on, even if it's clearly a lost cause. In all cases, you should focus on the future costs and benefits, and not let your previous loss influence your decision. All right, and, and that's an interesting perspective because, you know, we do have an aversion to loss. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I, I could see myself having a hard problem with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've already invested this time and effort in. All right. Might as well see it through. Mm-hmm. But if it really is a total waste of time, what are you seeing through? <laughs> Junk. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and all you're seeing through is your own personal pride to say, well, I, I want to find a way to make this not the bad decision that I that it really was. <laughs> you know, and, and that ends up being a waste of time. That's a worse decision. <laughs> yes, it is. Absolutely is. What do I do when my decision is finally made? I mean, once we've made a decision, I mean, hopefully we can be like this next scripture, because this, this is a wonderful thing. Job chapter 23, verses 10 through 12. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's such a great description of just abiding within the circle of the will of God. That's a hard thing to do. And Jonathan, again, and I keep repeating this, sometimes we step out of it. Sometimes our circle of our decision-making is not exactly lined up with the circle of the will of God. Probably most of the time, mm-hmm. it's off some. Yeah, sure. But the idea is to be able to realize it, to pair it back, and try to get back within the, the circle of the will of God. You know, now, an- another, well, I'll get to this other part later in the, in the next segment, but hopefully our response and our reaction can be like this. The Apostle Paul said something similar at, at the end of his course in Second Timothy. Remember he said, you know, I've, I've fought the fight, I've, I've, I've kept the faith, Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of, 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 of goodness, mm-hmm. uh, a crown of glory, rather. So he had that same sense of, okay, I've been able to see through and do the things that are necessary. Are we able to do that in our decision-making, whether it be quick or short or, or, or long? Do we focus on God's will? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you know what God wants you to do? Coming up... What about the bad decisions that we make? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. 
Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is how do you know what God wants you to do? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. You are so right. This world has lost its way in such a big way. It's really, really sad. So, Jonathan, before we get to the what about making bad decisions, let's let's just be sure that our decisions have passed through another one of the border tests. And we've talked about this and we've talked around this, but we've never said exactly this throughout the program. So James says it better than we could say it anyway. So let's read James 4. 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So the simple process of pausing and considering and saying, if the Lord wills. So what this is saying is we can come up with ideas in our minds that look like the things that we should do. And perhaps our life indicates that, yes, this is the direction we should go. So you start to take the steps. But the key that James is saying is what? If the Lord wills. So in other words... Be flexible for the Lord's will. Take the steps. Be confident in those steps, especially if you've checked them against the borders of God's will. Right. But always have that if it is the Lord's will and be willing to, like you said, to be flexible and to turn or to change direction if you need to. Mm -hmm. So based on this, our circle comparison checkpoint, do we have a spiritual confidence or an earthly confidence once I have made a decision. Which kind of confidence do I have? Do I just think about my circle of decisions or do I think about how my circle fits within the borders of God's will? How do you know what God wants you to do? It's figuring out what the borders of God's will are in, in, in practicality. These are generic borders for everybody mm-hmm. and then fitting our lives within those generic borders. Yes. Folks, if you have a thought, now would absolutely be the time, 866-985-4255. Let's go back to bit, uh, bit, bi- bit size bite. Bite size bite. What is that called? Bite size psych. That's what it's called. Um, the fourth cognitive bias in decision making, and this is the confirmation bias. And number four, the confirmation bias. Considered one of the most dangerous biases of our minds, the confirmation bias means you only search for evidence that confirms your beliefs. This simple bias explains why so many people stick to unscientific beliefs. For instance, someone who believes that humans are inherently good will only seek out cases that support this claim. However, there's plenty of evidence that humans are inherently bad too, so they're only getting one side of the story. Another consequence is that the framing of a question becomes vital. For example, people who are asked, are you happy with your social life, report being more satisfied with their social life than those asked, are you unhappy with your social life? Why? 
simply because people try to confirm the first question by searching their memory for happy events, whereas the second question does the opposite. That's interesting. The confirmation bias, you know, so so there, there's a danger in just you know wanting to confirm what we already believe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and 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 look, we all have that. Oh, uh, absolutely. And there there's some goodness in that, especially if what you believe is founded in scripture and so forth. And you're within the circle, right? But always leave room for the will of God to show you more than you already know, to be able to be taught, to be able to be corrected when necessary. As long as those corrections are not stepping outside of that circle, that's the key. Excellent. All right. So, um, and, you know, this, this confirmation bias, uh, when we're, we're faced with the human propensity, uh, again, to want to be right, while it's not necessarily bad in and of itself, it can lead to development of blind spots. And blind spots are something that are really dangerous in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard of the blind spot when you drive. Well, the blind spots in life are, are, are more dangerous because you can really get into a wreck by just allowing your blind spots to dominate your, your, your life decisions. So let's get down to now, Jonathan, what about when I make a bad decision? Because you know what? All of our decisions aren't going to be good. You're right. All right. Um, is my decision-making circle too big? For the, to, to fit within the circle of the will of God? Or is it off-center? And is it way off-center? Mm. I mean, how much of my circle decision-making process is within the will of God? If there's just a little sliver, there's a problem. That's, a, yeah, that's trouble. Okay? Yeah. So what about when I make a bad decision? There's, there's a great little he, uh, uh, Dutch proverb here. He that has a choice has trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true because it requires committing yourself to one thing or another and that's always difficult. So depending on the decision, we should try to retrace our steps if a commitment of too serious of nature hasn't been made or make the best of it that is the more righteous and godly path. And, and I just want to preface why I wrote that comment. Um, I, I got, got a correspondence from, from a listener and they were talking about um, they're they're married for a long time. Okay. But they married somebody who is not not a Christian, and they're having tri- trials and tribulations with that. And you know that's a decision that was made a long time ago. But you know it's a marriage covenant. It's a marriage promise. It's something that you have to work through and work with. So God understands that, and He's going to give you what you need within that. That's not the kind of thing that, according to the scripture, we should just retrace our steps because we're not happy because they're not a Christian. Right. That's not scriptural. That's not within the, the, the borders of God's will. So things like that, we have to learn how to work with. And maybe that part of your life is always outside of the will of God, but dealing with it can be inside I like the that. will of God. Nice. Okay, so when we make bad decisions, what do we need to do? What's the first thing we need to do? We need to take our troubles to the throne of grace a place to engage in border repair. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes we help, we burst through the borders of God, the edges of the God's will and we end up out on the outside and we're going, whoa, this isn't a good place to live. No. How do you do that? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now, Jonathan, this is really interesting because we're talking about making bad decisions. So we're talking about making mistakes. Yes. 
And this scripture is saying to come boldly before the throne of grace because we have Jesus standing there for us and with us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you make a mistake, how boldly do you want to come to the throne of grace? Not very. <laughs> it's like you got your tail between your legs. Yeah, like, oh, right, right, no, right, right. Lord, what did I do? But it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And that's the key. It's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of harshness. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of throwing you out. It's a throne of grace so that we may receive what? Mercy. So coming to the throne of grace for mercy is entirely the place you belong. Yes. When you've made a bad decision. Absolutely. That's the first thing you've got to do. We've got to do when we make bad decisions. And... uh, Secondly, what's second? We need to focus on God's mercy and overrulings in our lives. All right, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Okay. We need to understand that everything that happens in our lives, if we are seeking, truly seeking to be within the circle of the will of God, happens for a reason. Yes. And, you know, sometimes, Jonathan, our decisions that we make are along the right lines, but maybe they're immature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've done that. Me too. You know, I, I remember very specifically many, many years ago, I, I made a, a job decision. And I made it, I believe, for the right reasons, absolutely the right reasons, but I did not make it in a mature fashion. And I struggled mightily for a long time. Now, God blessed it eventually once I grew up within that decision-making process. And actually, that decision led for me to be able to have the ability, the time, and to, to be able to do Christian questions. Excellent. But it took a long time for me to grow up. Because while it was made with the right intentions, it was not made with maturity. And I'll never forget that particular lesson. Uh, you know, but God knew that, okay, you're gonna, you're, it's going to be tough for you. It's going to be tough for your family. You'll learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's going to take some time. Right. And it's, gonna, it's going to hurt. But sometimes learning does hurt. What's third? We need to see that there is value in our fallen earthly experiences. And that's just what I was just explaining. Second Corinthians 4, 7 to 11. But we have the treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. There you go. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being developed over, delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So, you know, sometimes once we've made a bad decision, we have to realize that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. And bad decisions is are great ways to see that. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not advocating <laughs> making bad decisions so you can no, see that. You know, no. The Apostle Paul says, well, should we sin then so that God's glory can be in our lives? God, God forbid. forbid. <laughs> no, no, no. But when it happens, there's that silver lining, and we can come back because we can see the borders of the will of God. Um, okay, so we've got take our troubles to the throne of grace. We need to focus on God's mercy and overruling. Uh, we need to see that there is value in our fallen earthly perspectives. What's fourth? 
We need to focus on getting back up. Proverbs 24:16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. So everybody makes bad decisions. Yep. We all make bad choices. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they require retracing our steps. Sometimes they require being accountable to others, like you know when we've talked about regret in the past mm-hmm. and how important it is to go through those steps to so regret doesn't dominate our thinking. Sometimes we have to learn to live with the decision because yep. we cannot undo it, mm-hmm. and we need to be able to learn to glorify God within that decision, which may not have been the best thing. Right. Can be done. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is that even though sometimes our decisions are made outside of the circle of the will of God, our dealing with those decisions can be within the will of God, and God overrules the rest. And we need to keep getting back up, Rick, when we fall down. Yeah, and, and you know, it's so important knowing what God's will for us, just because we don't do it sometimes, and we don't, doesn't mean we're done. It means we've got to get back up. So. Our, our circle of comparison checkpoint here, our last one for this program. Do I have the courage to not only admit my mistakes, but to refocus my priorities and place myself back within the borders of God's will? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get back there? If so, then I have learned much about what God wants me to do. And Jonathan, this whole program is about that question, learning about what God wants us to do. And what we've attempted to do is create an easy picture to say, okay, God's will is a circle, and around that circle is a border. And on that border are a lot of things. There is the, um, the idea of following after God's word. There's the idea of... Uh, Loving one another. Go ahead. The attitude that Jesus modeled. Okay. And be faithful through sacrifice. And then be accountable. Those are the five points. It's through prayer in there as well. The whole point of this is that those things are there to show us where to go, where not to go. It's up to us to, to decide how to apply that in our imperfect human lives. And look, there's a lot of wiggle room within God's will because we have the ability to make choices God can bless those choices, even if they're a little different than somebody next to you, as long as we're in the same circle. Hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed being with you. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, God's will can be determined. Focus on the borders. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, till next week, decide. Think about it.